Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know that my signature course, Brand Strategy 101, is now open for enrollment inside the Brand Design Masters Academy. This is a foundational course for creative professionals and entrepreneurs who want to get started with brand strategy so you can sell bigger projects, increase your fees for the creative work you already do, and get paid for the thinking and advice you've probably been given away for free. The moment you enroll, you get immediate lifetime access to seven modules of training with over eight hours of instructional videos, 25 lessons in all, plus 24 downloadable strategy tools and conversation guides. In Brand Strategy 101, I've taken complex strategic methodologies used by the world's most respected global branding agencies and crafted them into a deceptively simple turnkey process and toolkit that you can use with your clients, even if you've never done brand strategy before or don't know where to start. Brand Strategy 101 draws from my 25 years of experience working with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to small to medium-sized businesses all the way up to the Fortune 100. So if you're ready to up your game and bulletproof your career and protect your business from the downward pricing pressure of sites like Fiverr and Upwork, then Brand Strategy 101 is the place to start. Just go to philipvandusen.com slash BS101 and enroll in Brand Strategy 101 today. Again, just go to philipvandusen.com slash BS101 and enroll now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen, and I'm super excited today because I am here with Chris Darafeev. And Chris is the owner of Fly Ride LLC, which is a custom automotive lighting company. He's also a marketer. He's a total OG YouTuber and Instagrammer and TikTok dude. He works social media probably better than anyone I have ever seen. In 2020, Chris became a full-time content creator and has recently been getting into the NFT and crypto world, which I'm super anxious to talk to him about. Chris and I have known each other for, I want to say, five or six years now, in and out. And with that, I want to welcome Chris. Thank you. What an intro. That was solid. I appreciate that big time. I've always found you to be like a super fascinating guy because, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but you're an automotive lighting guy. And so... That is not a business that you would say lends itself to hipster social media, right? Like there's a lot of industrial sort of service companies out there that are trying to do social media, like desperately. They're trying to figure it out. And you figured it out, like you figured it out in spades. And so I've always been massively impressed by what you do on social media. So I'd love it if you just kind of introduce what you do at your company in Flyride and then kind of maybe how you got into social a little bit. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's I, I started a company nearly 20 years ago now, and it was just me trying to figure out how to, you know, work on my car a little bit. Like I added some little lighting rings that I was manufacturing myself and people asked me if I would make those parts for them. And I started doing that and I quickly realized if I'm going to make something special and somebody has to install that, I have to be very clear about how they need to install that. I have to give them good direction. So it was just a necessity. I used to edit skateboard videos from when I was a kid. I was like, I could edit some of these videos, show people how to do this. And so along came this platform years later called YouTube. It was this new thing. I think I signed up in 2006 and I thought that it was Dropbox. So I was like, cool, I'm just going to make this little video. I'll upload it here. Now I only have to share a link. 
because I used to put those videos on CDs and send them out to the customers internationally. And so all of a sudden I've got this whole thing that I'm building up that is how to information, but I didn't know that that's what YouTube was. I didn't know that that was a thing literally for, for 10 years. In 2016, I found out that there were these people called YouTubers and that they specifically made videos, how to's, things like that. And I looked back and I was like, I've been doing this for a while and I actually have a few thousand people that are following along. I guess me just making videos that gave some value without any ask is something that people got behind. That kind of started opening the door to like, maybe this YouTube thing is a pretty solid way to go about it. Um, but you know, I, I'd been early with that. I was early with Instagram. And uh, when TikTok came along, I was paying attention to Gary Vee. And so I think I've always just kind of been happy to jump on the new thing and find a way to use my voice to just connect with people and help them out. So I think that's a decent nutshell. <laughs> yes. When you start off with YouTube, you said you were using it like Dropbox and kind of just as in a communication tool, right? With clients. But you did evolve out of that and you became very entertaining And when I was watching your videos. So what were the steps that you took to take it to a new level? This, so it's interesting because this has a lot to do with when we met because that was a, a, a business group years ago. Um, and I, I want to talk more about that later. But the interesting thing was I told you, you should go out and do YouTube stuff because like your information is solid. And I didn't realize it at that time, but I had gained a few thousand subscribers on YouTube and it was because I was showing the end result. I was showing these custom lights that I had built and I'd, I'd done a, a few of these little how to's, but I didn't really incorporate myself, my personality or my personal brand was not part of the picture. And so I had this crazy learning lesson uh, in late 2016, which was, hey, it looks like all these guys do is they point the camera at themselves and then people want to know they they're interested and they want to follow along. So that's all I have to do is turn the camera around, point it at me and I will have people that are interested in my life. So I made a couple vlogs and I realized nobody cared. <laughs> I wasn't good. I thought I was good. And then I watched <laughs> the videos now and I cringe. I'm like, it's so boring. So yeah, it's just a lesson. Like it's, it's not always, not always going to be super interesting to people and you have to find out like why are they watching and, and how how you can make it valuable for them yeah and i mean your custom lighting on cars was i mean and maybe you didn't know it then but it's custom made for youtube i mean lighting and cars i mean it's just it's very entertaining and visually very cool and so I could see how that was a match completely made in heaven. And I had forgotten about the fact that you said that I should get on YouTube. That was really funny. And you're right. That was right when I started my channel. And you were very inspiring to me watching what you were doing with YouTube. And my Thanks, early man. videos are just as painful, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> sitting there talking head. Yeah, it should be. Oh, yeah. It always is. And that's one thing I try to impress upon everybody who are, you know, aspiring content creators is that starting is the hardest part because you have to get past that first 25 or 50 videos where you just feel like a stick. You feel like a straw man. You know, you're not moving. You're, you're scared to death. Your mouth is dry. You suck, right? But then slowly you get better. Slowly you get the hints. You watch other people. You pick a thing up here and there. 
and it gets better and better. But I don't know that I've seen a bad video of yours, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure there's plenty. But I my my buddy Roberto Blake says you got to make a hundred bad videos. You know, you got to make a hundred videos that suck, and then you can start worrying about making your your videos better. But get a yeah. hundred under your belt. That's that's some super solid advice for anybody. Yeah, I think you were doing Casey Neistat like before Casey was. I mean, you were in your lighting studio, your workshop you know, your, your workbench, like, you know, your maker, you know? And, yeah. uh, I think that that was really impressive and, and it really drew people in because they got to see the process. That's the wonderful thing about what you do is you were really, really transparent. That's the other thing I wanted to say is that you also accomplished something that a lot of people have a real hard time figuring out. How do you be transparent about your life, your process, when you're on YouTube and people get scared of showing what's behind the curtain. How did you feel about that? I can tell you this. I think it's a lot less work. Oh, interesting. So when I, when I met some uh, big YouTubers in 2016, I saw the, the, the scary dark underbelly of YouTube, which is these people were putting on a fake persona and they had to keep up the charade and they were miserable. Mm -hmm. They were not happy people. Yeah. And they always projected this happiness and this success and all this, but you'd talk to them later and they were jaded and bitter and they just didn't want to do it anymore. And they were golden handcuffed to it. And I was like, ugh, that's gross. Like, I don't want to be that. That's terrible. Um, and something that I was always, I guess, just natural about is I could just be me all the time. So how I am now, how I am on Twitter spaces or clubhouse or Instagram live or at a live event or at the grocery store. It's always the same dude. I don't have to keep up with anything. It's just so much easier that way. Yeah. I don't know if that helps anybody. It's like a basketball player telling you, Oh yeah, you got to be a seven feet tall, but like I'm comfortable as me. And I try to never mess that up by pretending or faking or even acting. I don't even like when I watch YouTubers like act. I'm like, Ugh. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather just be me and that be enough, you know? So you kind of were nailing it with YouTube and then you expanded into Instagram and some other platforms. What was the, did you, at the beginning, were you saying, I'm going to do YouTube only and I'm going to do it well and then I'll grow from there? Was that a conscious decision to center on one platform or had you always been experimenting with a number of platforms? Yeah. I mean, I think I was, I got my start on message forums. And those sucked a lot. <laughs> you had to post lots of text and lots of pictures. And I think I learned a little bit about like oversharing and like how people actually like how invested in you they actually are. It's it's just human to be in it for you. So like if you watch somebody's content or you read somebody's paragraph or whatever it might be, it's about what you get out of that. It's the reason you look at a group picture and who's the first person that you look at. If you're in that picture, you're looking at yourself. We're just hardwired to care about ourselves, right? So I think my early start being that and then getting into YouTube and then as time progressed, like I was sharing on Facebook and stuff too, but uh, and had a, a nice little MySpace super custom page with the music and <laughs> all the things, uh, posting pictures I shouldn't have. Yeah. But when Instagram came along, the only reason that I was early to that was I had a customer who really liked the work I was doing with the electronics. And he'd gone to college for that stuff. He was an electrical engineer. He was just impressed by it. And he liked my work ethic. And he said, 
please let me send my son to come intern for you. Have him do whatever. Have him sweep the floors. Have him do whatever. Just I want him to be around somebody who's actually using this in a practical way. Mm. All the stuff that we learned how to do in, in book smarts, but actually make it cool and fun. And over the course of maybe like a year or so, I was having a conversation. By the way, this is one of the coolest kids I've ever met in my life. His name's Will Reeves, just a phenomenal human being. But I asked him, hey, Will, what's, what's the thing that like the younger kids are doing? I'm 38 now. Uh, this was, you know, over 10 years ago and um, or maybe 10 years ago. Exactly. He, I, he said, oh, you should start an Instagram. That's what like a lot of people are doing. And I was like, that sounds awesome. What's an Instagram? <laughs> And then he proceeded to tell me and he was like, hey, just share some pictures out. And I was like, cool, let's take some pictures of some lights and you post them out. And he was following a bunch of people and they were following back and it was early days. There was no video. So it was just paying attention to what other people were doing at that point. And then just kind of became another Lego block to stack on top of the other ones. So it's kind of been that way ever since. Just new things come out, whether it's Snapchat for a while or TikTok or whatever just kind of paying attention and not being so fancy that I have to worry about like, well, what if it's a waste of time? Mm. I don't know. You know, what if YouTube was a waste of time? I wouldn't, yeah. have, I wouldn't have done it, you know? So short form has now become a, like a real thing, right? I mean, YouTube has shorts now, Instagram, everybody's picking up the short format. So what have you done in that format and how do you use it? Oh boy, that's such a huge question. <laughs> you teed me up well. Thank you, sir. So I actually, to give a little context to it, I met somebody that was watching my YouTube channel and they were big in the music space. It's an audio engineer who mixed the album for Kanye recently, Donda. This guy is amazing and he has a YouTube channel. And I had uh, been chatting with him a little bit and then he basically told me, you know, like, I want to work with you. I just, in whatever capacity and became friends and all that. And shortly after, I was listening to a Pat Flynn live stream, I believe. And all of a sudden, I hear the word clubhouse. And I was like, what's clubhouse about? And then I heard it a little while later. And I was like, let me check this thing out. I go to sign up. And I was like, ah, oh, you got to be fancy. You got to get an invite. I don't know how to get into this thing, whatever. And so I put my name on the wait list. And then all of a sudden, that buddy, fancy audio engineer who's in the cool kids club and all that, just instantly lets me in the door. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? And it's early January, 2021. And the most amazing people are just hanging out and just spilling the beans. They're talking about everything. I don't care if they were celebrities or they were tech people or they were community leaders or whatever it was. They were just awesome people in there every day. So I spent like 18 hours a day for months in club. I was crazy. It was like wow. I stopped life. <laughs> and some of the people that I met in that space were huge TikTokers. And they were talking about things like psychology and like people are attracted to the whites of your eyes and the whites of your teeth and calls to action and how to get a strong hook. Like these are people with millions and millions of followers just spilling the beans, all their secrets. And I just listened and engaged for months. And a couple of the people that I met in there were really big in the YouTube space. So Benji Travis, Sean Cannell, just a couple mm. just awesome guys, uh, Roberto Blake, just people that I became real good friends with were in there and we just talk all the time. Even for a short bit, Mr. Beast was in there and Daryl Eves. But long story short, 
I saw YouTube shorts coming because we were talking about it. We knew that it was coming before it was announced because of Clubhouse. So I started compiling all that information about kind of the formula of what it is, what keeps people's attention, how much time you have to get their attention and then to lose it. And like all the things to do. And I just was such a student drinking from a fire hose. Absolutely incredible. And I kind of put together this little formula and it was for shorts. So I thought I'd be very clever and look up the domain name short formula and it was available. So I bought shortformula.com and I put that formula out there for people to learn. And I just teach all the time. And it's literally how I get people engaged. And I grew my TikTok to over 100,000 followers relatively quick. Had a buddy quit his job and help me film videos all day long every day. And it's been that ever since. That whole learning of that has helped myself and so many other businesses. Again, I could go on forever. I'm going to stop now and give okay. you a word. <laughs> no, it's really all amazing stuff. One of the things I was just out at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego, and I was watching a guy give a presentation on TikTok and monetizing video. And one of the things that he said was, I mean, there's people who have millions of followers on TikTok and TikTok pays dookie in terms of money. I mean, he asked this guy who had like 2 million followers, how much money in the last year he had made on TikTok. And it was something like $5,000, which is insane. You know, there are people with a couple million followers on YouTube that can make a hundred, $200,000 a year. TikTok is not paying out. So what was it about TikTok that made you want to go all in on it. It's obviously not giving you any advertising revenue. Was it driving clients for you? Yes, it was selling online courses, but man, you just teed me up again so well. So <laughs> it's my job, I'm uh, a podcaster. <laughs> good. So somebody that I met and became very good uh, buddies with recently is Michael Stelsner. Yeah. And I actually just chopped him up a little, a uh, little short form video and, and started talking to one of his, uh, his uh, marketing guys. And I, I mean, I just feel like anybody in the podcasting space could absolutely crush TikToks and stuff like that. But I mean, the interesting thing is that, man, this space is, it's moving super, super fast and it's changed everything. So TikTok has, when I said I saw it coming with YouTube shorts, YouTube was freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, we're Google and we're YouTube. We're the biggest website out there. Guess what? They saw it coming too. They're not anymore. TikTok beat yeah. them. TikTok is the number one website in the world. It's above Google search engine now for number of hits. Yeah. I just heard that at that conference. That was amazing. I was just like, oh shit. So everybody saw that and they said, yeah. oh shit, we need to introduce YouTube shorts. We need to combat this, especially when they did that, when YouTube did that, that was right at the same time that the whole TikTok, is it going to get taken down? Is it not? India killed it. Guess who filled the gap? YouTube. They had their shorts. It came out in India first, which is one of the reasons we knew about it. They had their own camera. They had their own system. I think it was a separate app, matter of fact, mm -hmm. in India at that point. And all we did was talk about it in Clubhouse all day long. And when you ask about the monetary side of it, this is what's interesting. In the early days, we said, it's just an opportunity. It's, it's a way to get out in front of this. And we'd have people that were coming in those Clubhouse rooms and we'd be like, all right, spill the beans. How many today? And they'd be like 50,000 new subscribers. And we're like, oh my gosh. Next day, another 50,000. We watched people go from literally zero at the end of 2020 to over a million subscribers in a matter of months while we were watching this happen and unroll on YouTube shorts. A lot of food creators, my friend Lisa Wynn, 
Um, she was one of them. There, there's so many people. I met a guy named Jake Fellman. He became a friend because of Clubhouse. He ended up being a keynote speaker at VidSummit late last year. He got, I think it was close to 8 billion views last year. Oh, that's insane. So we were in rooms just hanging out and having these conversations for hours. Me and Benji started hosting spaces and all that. But to bring it full circle, that was because we were early. Once Instagram tried to emulate TikTok and do their reels and they weren't getting anywhere with it, they finally unlocked something big when they started paying people a thousand bucks a month if they could get lots of good views. And it was invite only. So I got invited into a, a program where I was able to, you know, at least make the thousand bucks. And that was great. It was exciting. And they say they weren't pushing that content. They were pushing that content. Oh, I bet <laughs> they, they were, were pushing out in front of more. And then Facebook opened up native Facebook reels. And that was even bigger because the cap that you could make on Instagram was a thousand, but the cap that you could make, and that was just for me, for other people had different deals, but the cap for Facebook was $35,000 a month. And they were pushing that content and one month rolled into the next. And for a short form creator, life-changing. You, mm. know, you could go from making peanuts on TikTok to making, you know, five to $10,000 a month doing exactly what you've been doing. Right. And it changed the whole space. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be just from a trend perspective, I think that that's going to be a really defining event. And I think there's a lot of huge, huge creators on TikTok. They understand the the reach of it, like showing up on the front page of the Google search engine, right? If you're an illustrator or something like that. I mean, the reach is massive, but the monetization is not great. And it may, over time, Google may say, okay, YouTubers, you know, we're going to we're going to shave it down by 5%, by 25%, whatever it is. And your earning on advertising will get less and less. They'll either try to save money because they know no one's going to go to TikTok because they're not making any money, or they'll keep it high and reward their creators and always attract the best creators. And if between you and me, as if I owned you know, Google and YouTube, I'd be making sure that I maintain to those payments to those creators because they are the people who make YouTube. Would you agree with that? I would. And I feel like they've they swung and missed so bad. They tried to do a, a $100 million fund. Just stupid. Like nobody benefits from it unless you're top, typically top tier performance. And mm. there's like a, a max of $10,000. I made, I think just full transparency, I think on Facebook when they brought their thing out, I only went really hard for like a month to really study it. And then my whole life got changed with NFTs. But I think between Instagram and Facebook, I brought in like $8,000 in January. It's crazy. That's ridiculous. For somebody who is used to making like $80, maybe if I was lucky on TikTok, if I had millions and millions of views, mm -hmm. like I, I, could, I could buy sushi dinner for that, but that's it. <laughs> Certainly not paying any bills with it. But that, that Facebook thing, that was awesome. But to date, YouTube has never been a significant source of income for me. That's what it is. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advance aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip 
P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's B-Y-O-L dot M-E forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. And so you have now become a full-time content creator. And does that mean you're not doing your automotive lighting anymore? Or that's running itself and you are just focusing entirely on content? What is your what is your work life look like these days? It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so uh, towards the end of last year, I was, I mean, I was absolutely full-time content creation. I was dabbling in the world of like, do we want to do some brand takeovers and start creating their content for them? And I quickly realized like I hated that. I just, it was, it was annoying. It was having many bosses that sucked at giving me direction at the thing that I was good at. So that didn't work. But the reality was as far as taking client work and taking things on where people would commission me to build them special lights and all that, it was still just a means to give me something to make content about. The problem was that that space is very slow. Automotive is very slow to react to changes by just inherently by nature of the DIY guy that's working on cars. They're not just a super affluent group of people. They're not. They're guys that just want to get in there, work with their hands. I love that. I love working with my hands. I'm an artist. I like to create things and get people hyped up on the excitement of what can be done and then actually bring it to fruition and hand it over and they're happy and I'm happy. We make videos about it. It's, I had to learn all these skill sets to be able to do that. And what I found was that those skill sets were far more valuable than the thing that I was actually centered on. The subject matter itself was not as valuable as using those same skills in other areas and helping other businesses do that. And I mean, a, a big part of my learning lesson, it was kind of a, like a wax on, wax off moment. But for a decade, right, in the trenches, Gary Vee style, or can tell your eyes bleed. And like, I don't know, I'm not a big hustle culture fan pusher, but like, it certainly made me dangerous. You know what I mean? I got really good at the things that I was doing. And it was because of doing that. And I got to just stay head down and focus in it and build a name in a very small pond. And I kind of just got to the point at the end of last year, I did one big push with my online courses. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Really push these guys really hard with the email blasts and sequencing and all that stuff. I didn't like how it felt. I was just like, these guys don't have that much to begin with. Why do I need to milk them, like wring them dry? And I mean, it was another Gary thing. Like the longer you can wait to monetize your audience, the better, you know, like the longer that it takes you to like have any reason to ask them anything, uh, the better because then they're there because they get value and they keep showing up. So at the point that I really gave that good, hard squeeze on them and I was like, and they showed up and they were happy and grateful. There's nothing bad about it. It just didn't feel how I want to feel every day. And certainly not something that I'm like, oh, let's do this for a decade now. So it kind of left me in a weird situation where I was like, is this really what the top of the mountain looks like? Because I want a better view. You know, I think that's what it came down to. So you now you've set me up perfectly. So now when I contacted you about coming on the podcast, because I knew that we had a lot to talk about and I'd never had you on the show, you said, oh, I've, I've kind of made a pivot recently. I've started really getting into NFTs. So NFTs are obviously pretty new on the landscape for some. Some people have been into them for a while, but explain to me what that watershed moment was like. What happened to you? What were you exposed to that made you really take up that banner and start to get really interested in it? 
Yeah, so I watched the Board Ape Yacht Club come out of nowhere, and people started showing up with cartoon faces on Clubhouse, and we just made fun of them. And then they just went away, and then people had conversations about NFTs, which I did not understand, for like six months or so. Matter of fact, I think right now, I think either I think it's this week is the one-year anniversary of the Board Ape Yacht Club. So they didn't even exist, I think, a year ago today. They were like still ramping up to it. I say that because I didn't get it, and I was annoyed every time I heard Gary Vee talking about it, and I had people that I was following in Clubhouse made a big shift into it. I didn't understand it, and it just seemed weird. And and at the very end of the year, at the end of, of January, somebody that I had been in lots of conversations with about YouTube specifically, when I was in Clubhouse a lot, she contacted me and said, hey, um, what do you know about NFTs? And I was like, basically nothing. And it's annoying that I don't. I feel left out. I want to know, what do you know about them? And she said, well, a few months back, I came up with this little collection of these cute unicorns. You know, I was learning about it and we, we just launched them out there and didn't really have much of a game plan, but we had some pretty influential people come in and they were you know, checking out my little pictures of unicorns and they were buying them and it got shared out. It kind of became a hot thing and it made a few million dollars. And there were big people in the space, like Steve Aoki was one of the, the people that bought her NFT. So she kind of started explaining what had happened. And since we had talked last, kind of laid this whole thing out. And she said, I want to show you something really quick. And she shows me this picture and it's this collage of all these different cute little characters that she had created. She did two different collections. One was super successful. Then she did like a little side shoot of that where instead of just cute unicorns, it was little raccoons and cats and whales and different stuff. So I say all of this, which still doesn't connect with most people. It didn't with me yet. But then she shows me this collage, which was this like really cool looking environment. There was like water and clouds and mountains and all these cute little characters. And she pointed at one of them and she said, see that? that little guy right there, that raccoon. She's like, that's this dude named James. He works in this industry. He lives in this area. And the little cat next to him, that's his wife. And those three little ones, that's their three kids. And they came into our space and they became part of our community and, and started connecting. We, we talk every day. And she was like, I can see that person right there. They're a big deal celebrity over on this thing. And that guy up there, that big whale shaped guy, we didn't know, but when he came into the community and started talking, we really liked him. And then we noticed that a lot of our NFTs kept getting bought up by the same person. And we found out later it was him. He's a whale. He's a super rich guy in the space. And he's come in and been a huge part of our community. So she went on and she just kept telling me more and more about the different people that were in that picture. But she was talking about community the whole time and about actual human beings that she cares about. And I was like, I kind of think I get it. Like this actually, this is starting to make sense to me. And she said, and I want to give you a couple of these NFTs for your two boys. Because I have a, a 13 year old, a five year old. She gave me this little list. She was like, show them all these and just tell me which ones do they like? Like what, which one calls their name? So each of my boys picked one out and she just drops these things. She, she actually spoon fed me how to set up a MetaMask wallet and how to get everything ready so she could give these gifts to me and my boys. It's kind of like a Christmas present. And so I went through all that stuff. And after that experience, and then going back and being like, wait, these things are worth money. And like, now they're worth more. And now the, the market's changing. And I'm starting to follow the, the price of Ethereum. And I'm watching Bitcoin go up and down. I'm, all of a sudden, I had some skin in the game. 
and I understood the community aspect. And I was like, I get it. This is crazy. <laughs> this is this is big. Um, and I started investigating further. And man, that rabbit hole went deep. I, I haven't come out yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that I I know like a centimeter about NFTs. I've just begun to learn about them. And I had a guy hire me for an hour's worth of brand consulting. And it turns out he is minting a big collection of NFTs. And I had to sign an NDA, so I have to be careful about how much I talk about it. But they are tech guys, right? Tech guys and artist guys. And they'd made some money in a previous NFT mint. And they were now, you know, hiring a bunch of illustrators and they were putting together, it was a very cool collection. But the success of it, just like the Board Ape Yacht Club, was really kind of hinging on story. Like you have to have a really clear origin story, brand story, you know, character story that's going to surround this whole idea of community because that's the handle, that's the human aspect that people, you know, latch onto. And so he didn't understand story. He doesn't understand branding. And that's why he was coming to me to kind of get a fresh eye on what he was doing and what he really needed to craft in order to tell this story to people, to get them excited about buying the NFT. And as I was learning about it in this, I was learning as much as he was in this call, was that the offline in real life aspect of these NFTs is to me, and this is the neophyte point of view, that's going to be what separates the men's from the boys in terms of the ones that are long lasting and not. Because a lot of people are looking at this and saying this is the tulip bubble of the 2020s, that one day it's just going to all go poof and no one really cares. But if there is a physical manifestation or some sort of real life community or membership or events that are longer lasting, that's what's really going to be the turnkey aspect of this. What do you think about that? I mean, you, you nailed it. And that's why we know each other, because we were brought together in a community. We had a conversation. I found out what my, like, I tell you this all the time, but I'll say it right here on the podcast. My colors that I have looked at, at my company, since we had that conversation, whatever, six years ago, I see you every time you fill up, every time I look at my brand and I see the color 99CC33, the hex code that I memorized because I use it all the time. That was for you. You sat and you looked at my brand. We looked at my logo. We went over stuff. You talked about having a pop color and having my other colors. And, and even as, as simple as I eventually years later changed up my font, which was a big thing that was bugging me at the time. And it took me a couple of years to find a nice font that I liked that was like a script and one that was, you know, super easy to read, big, bold text. And because I was in a community where I had access to a certain person with an expertise that was different than mine, it was a very valuable community. If you don't have that in an NFT project, it's a picture. It's a JPEG. So when it does go poof and that is going to happen, it's going to be savage. It's carnage everywhere. Everyone's, everyone's going down. There's going to be the cream rises to the top moment. And those are the people that have real world utility real connections, real, real value with humans. <laughs> it's, it's the thing with the story with the whales and all that stuff. It's a different way to go about this NFT space. And enough people have made millions of dollars selling worthless JPEGs that it's very easy to be confused about what the space is because it's not that. Yeah. And when I was talking to this person, who was minting this collection of NFTs, that's what one thing that he's like, NFTs have become a pump and dump world. 
meaning people are pumping it up. They get in, they buy it just to flip it. They're only doing it to make short-term gain. And we don't want our NFTs to be that. We don't want them to be this pump and dump scheme because so much of what's out there is relying on that. And it's hard for it not to have the space infected like that because there is so much money being made on seemingly ethereal things, right? Like when I was out in the social media marketing world, there was this guy giving a presentation on NFTs and he put the slide up on the screen and it was a grid of you know, little artworks, little NFT icons. And there were probably, I don't know, 150 different ones on the screen. He goes, these are all the NFTs that I own. He goes, I've bought all of these over the last year and a half. And, you know, maybe one's the next board ape, maybe not, but he's investing and he likes them and he's just getting in there and playing. And he said, you know, 99% of these will be worthless. Absolutely. Unless it grows beyond the JPEG. And those are the ones that You have to learn how to discern which it is. I don't know. I find it really fascinating. It's all of the things that we talked about leading up to this moment. Now incorporate that into this. And so I learned about these short form videos. I learned about why people connect when they're looking at you and they're seeing you smile and they're seeing you. That's why I smile in all my videos. It's not just because I'm not just the happiest guy on the planet. But it's you better. are the happiest guy. Don't get yeah. <laughs> I, I will say this. I'm a happy guy. I love what I do and I'm grateful for all the opportunities that I get. Um, and I just get to be honest about that. And that's infectious. People want to hear more stories like that. I'm not complaining. We'll put it that way. So imagine that you've got somebody that wants to tell you about their collection of 10,000 uh, rabbits or another eight project, or they've got 5,000 turtles. And you're like, cool. All right. So 5,000 turtles. Why does this matter? And then they they go and they tell you, well, look, we built this whole thing. Uh, we've got this environmentally friendly thing. We've adopted X amount of the sea turtles. We helped with this big giant thing. And we have a business. And we have a long-term vision. And we don't want to go to VC guys and say, hey, um, can you please lend us the money for a giant chunk of our soul? Can you do that for us? And then have a bunch of say on things that you don't care about. They're like, why don't we get a community that cares about these turtles? And then, and I don't, there is no turtle, by the way. I'm just hypothetical. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about it like it's like common stock. Essentially, you're establishing a community and it's kind of crowd fundraising, but it's, you're issuing common stock, basically. Yeah, and it's, it's something that, it's not only that, and that becomes like an issue of securities and SEC involvement, all that. But the reality is that if you just buy that JPEG and it's got a turtle on it and then it goes to nothing, but you met somebody like Philip who gave you your brand colors and made a huge impact because part of the utility of that NFT was that you have an awesome community of people that are individually good at different things and you group people up and now they're making stuff happen on the side that has nothing to do with what they bought, has nothing to do with this JPEG, it's access. It's community and it's access. So I would just say, if you have a hard time, anybody understanding what NFTs are, the product is community for sure. And then the long-term value. And I talked earlier about being a selfish human and caring about yourself, which is totally fine. No judgment. How is that person going to make money because they're in that community? What are they going to get out of it? More than just, we help the turtles. Cool. I'm stoked. Turtles need help. Help them. But people aren't going to keep being involved in that. They're eventually going to be wrung dry 
they're eventually going to be like, all right, I got to actually spend my time doing something that benefits me, that helps me personally. And so without there being some sort of a side benefit to it, like these bored ape guys that have these special parties and they get together and IRL and big giant things happen, that's a huge side benefit that has nothing to do with the price of, they didn't sign something that says, if I spend this much money on this JPEG, then everything will be better and I'll make X amount of dollars because I get access to this person. But it was born from the fact that you could get connections. I went to a big giant $10 million mansion party for the weekend last weekend in San Diego across the street from the water. Why? Because a bunch of my friends have an NFT called a blue chimp. And those blue chimp guys are the best and they help each other out and they take care of each other. And in real life, value is massive. And it's community. Again, that's the product. And that's worth, that's worth getting behind for sure. I love it. All right. Now we're going to have to tie this up, Chris. So I'm going to hit you up with the rapid fire round, which is 10 quick questions. Just to answer word or two is all we need. You ready? Let's go. What's your spirit animal? Hmm. Wow. I don't know. Like Some are hard. Some are easy. I'll warn you. <laughs> I guess a shark. A shark? If I'm not swimming okay. for it, I'm going to suffocate and die. So yeah. There, oh, I love that. That's a great analogy. Morning person or night person? Morning. Right? Beach or mountains? Beach. Dog person or cat person? Ah, I love my cats, but I'm totally a dog person. Okay. What's your secret talent that most people don't know that you can do? Hmm. I mean, I would say most people don't know that I could do all the crazy custom lighting stuff, but I think that's <laughs> why people know me a lot of times. Maybe now. Maybe now they don't. Ah, yeah, there you go. Well, but I could juggle. Whatever. You know. Okay. Um... This is one of the hard ones. Favorite song of all time. Mm. Man, there's, there's so many good ones. I'll just say off the top of my head, like Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> all right. Favorite place in the world. Mm. I love Vernon, British Columbia. Just happens to be the case. Okay. What's the one thing you would love to master? Uh, I would probably just say multiple languages slash different martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your hero? Mm, I'd say a pretty solid hero would be Gary V. Okay. And what's the one thing you would tell your 20-year-old self? Enjoy. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Okay. So this is the big one. I always ask my podcast guests this question. Do you have a personal mantra or manifesto that you try to live your life by? I totally do. And it's that I want to know that Whatever I do, whatever effort I put out, I always want the ROI to be that I'm happy about what I'm doing. And I think when you're happy, you won. That's it. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us. If people want to get in touch with Chris Darafib, how should they do that? Um, I'm spending so much more time on Twitter right now for the first time since I joined in 2009. So I'd say Twitter's a solid place to actually get a hold of me, um, comment on something that I tweeted, maybe. It's at Flyride on Twitter, at Flyride across all social, but it'll show my face and it says Chris Darafee, so I'm easy to find. So that's F-L-Y-R-Y-D-E for anyone who's listening. You got it. All right, Chris. Well, thanks a lot for coming on and talk to me. I hope to have you back on the show soon. I will be here for sure. Thank you. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.